This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 17 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth. Boy, do we have a show for you today. Are you tired of being told what you can and can't wear after the age of 50? I am. I'm so excited to talk to style icon Jeannie Becker this morning about her thoughts on the subject. Plus, she's going to tell us about trends she loves right now, for any age. When the pandemic started, my grandson and his parents moved in with us for a few months. He was only five months old. The original plan was for him to go to daycare near here when his mom went back to work. But we decided that I could take on the daycare required for her to go to work remotely. Our story wasn't unique as many grandparents found themselves in the position of providing daycare where they could to their grandkids. Babies who needed watching to school-aged kids who needed, well, schooling from home. Other grandparents, including ourselves for some stretches of time, were unable to physically be with our grandchildren due to health and safety concerns. Dr. Sarah Stoller wrote an article for the Washington Post about how the pandemic has exacerbated the transformation of grandparenthood. We are going to get into that. It's fascinating stuff. When we had our kids move back home, all four of them with some hangers-on and a couple of cats, my husband and I were glad that we hadn't yet made the decision to downsize our family home to something smaller, as some of our friends had done. Real estate agent Josie Vogels is joining us today to talk about what to look for in a new space and to give us some tips for both buyers and sellers looking to downsize. Taking care of people in our homes is also something that many have had to take on during this trying time. And our Take 5 with RBC series features the new app CareEasy and how it can help caregivers assist the families they work for or are a part of. I don't care what you're wearing to listen to the show today. I'm just glad you're here. Stay tuned. Jeannie Becker started her professional showbiz career at 16 and hasn't stopped since. From CBC Radio to Chum FM and the groundbreaking show The New Music on City TV, she was a founding member of Much Music and launched the legendary fashion television in 1985, which she hosted for 27 years or 130 countries. She's been an editor-in-chief, regular columnist, authored five books, and since 2015 has been the style editor for TSC. She holds the Order of Canada and numerous prestigious awards in television and marketing, including a star on Canada's Walking on TSC's Style Matters and hear her ask beyond. Good morning, Jeannie Becker. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Oh, such a pleasure, Kathy. I'm going to steal your line, and I hope you don't mind, um, your signature line, more than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is so much more than... The clothes that we wear, uh, I have met, as you can imagine, because I've been covering the (laughs) high fashion scene since the mid-80s, some of the world's so-called best-dressed people. Right. But after a few minutes, I mean, if they don't have the right energy and attitude, you know, all that stuff wears really thin. And I don't consider um, people who are best-dressed necessarily, you know, have great style. I think style is truly the way that we move through the world, the way we treat others, the way we 
see others and see ourselves, that lens through which we see the world in general and what we do with our lives. I mean, that's what style truly is about. I love that. And it really, you know, it brings home the fact that when I read these articles that say, here's what not to wear if you're over the age of 50. Oh. Like, are these meant to hurt our feelings? Are they meant yeah. to make us feel bad? When you read that, what do you think? Well, I think don't let the turkeys get you down. First of all, <laughs> You know, it's so old-fashioned. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone really uses that phrase that much <laughs> these days, but uh, I think everyone knows what I'm, to really have rules in fashion when it comes to choosing the styles that you want to wear and how you want to present yourself. I mean, it really should be up to the individual. Um, fashion dictates, as far as I'm concerned, have just gone out the window. And, of course, some people still crave certain direction, and that's fine if you need to reach out and ask someone because you're a little too, you know, insecure mm-hmm. maybe about your own choices. But I think everyone deserves to, you know, take a good, long, hard look in the mirror and uh, really, you know, look at the good stuff about yourself, fall in love with yourself all over again, you know, if you have to. But really just dress for your body type. Mm-hmm. I think that is important. And your spirit first and foremost, because yeah, I, I just hate that notion that, you know, well, I'm a certain age, so I can't right. do that anymore. Like, oh, right. that's, that's horrible. And I listened to your podcast, Beyond Style Matters, and your interview with Norma Kamal, and you both talked about signature styles. And I've noticed, uh, Jeannie, that you're a blazer person. So am I. I have one on right now. <laughs> that's a good way to go, don't you think? Finding that signature style. And, and if people, you know, if you feel like you've been looking the same way, that's okay, isn't it? As long as you feel that it suits you. Yeah. You know, I think, Kathy, there's a danger of getting too lost Mm -hmm. into one image of yourself sometimes because um, it's an easy thing. It's a convenient thing. Uh, You know, we're afraid to color outside the lines sometimes. But I do think we need to encourage ourselves to be a little more experimental and try new things and try things that we've never tried before. Now, that being said, you know, if you're looking for a no-brainer way to get dressed every morning and you have you know, outfits or pieces or cuts or colors, silhouettes that you know look good on you, that you feel really good and comfortable in, you know, you want to gravitate towards that. Okay, that's great. You can adopt a a uniform for yourself. Um, A lot of people do, and some of these so-called best-dressed people do as well. But maybe you want to then get a little more playful with your accessories. Right. Because I think whimsy is very much uh, in vogue these days, especially after this dark period that we're coming out of. Um, and I think the playfulness um, is always fun to project. Mm-hmm. And I think you can send great messages about yourself and you can make great style statements by uh, changing up your accessories. So what trends do you see then for this winter? Mostly, I guess, in terms of a a quick accessory we can add to our outfits. Well, I mean, it's funny because anything goes right now. Mm -hmm. And trends, I know, and I speak a lot about trends, you know, on my show Style Matters at TSC. We're always reviewing the trends because it makes it easier, I guess, for people to navigate their way through the maze of fashion if they have uh, certain trend directions they can follow. Mm -hmm. But I think you don't have to worry about things being in or out anymore. Um, You know, big, bold accessories are certainly in, but so are very delicate little accessories when it comes to jewelry. I mean, bags, it used to be, you know, you'd have, you'd have an evening bag and you'd have a great day bag and you know, that was just about it. Maybe one or two other bags for travel. But nowadays, it's 
all about the bag. And bags make such great, strong statements, too. All these wonderful cross-body bags that we're seeing that really add so much punch mm-hmm. to your wardrobe. Vests. Oh, cool. I know women of a certain age always love their vests. <laughs> vests do wonders when it comes to disguising figure flaws. Nice. <laughs> not that any of us are flawed, of course. Of course not. But I think, you know, vests are great. There's a, a larger silhouette that's really hot and happening. So that's wonderful because we can all kind of disappear a little bit into that and not worry too much about our, you know, bits <laughs> that we're not that proud of. We've all, you know, gained a little weight this past while, I think. I'm just going to throw a bag and a vest under my blazer. Does that work? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Layering is totally happening. Yes, just do it. (laughs) Thanks, Jeannie, so much for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Okay, take good care. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Sarah Stoller is a writer and historian of women, work, and feminism. She completed her PhD on the history of working parenthood at UC Berkeley. Good morning, Sarah. Thanks for joining me this morning. My pleasure. So you wrote an article for the Washington Post entitled, The Pandemic Has Exacerbated the Transformation of Grandparenthood. And as a grandma, I really read this article with interest. And in particular, there's a line where you say, we've entered an era of intensified grandparenting, rising alongside new pressures on parents to do and be it all. Why did you want to write about this topic? Well, I have a very personal interest in this topic. Um, I have a daughter who's now almost 17 months old who was, who was born at the very beginning of the pandemic. And we're lucky to live very close to my parents. And we fell very quickly into a pattern of having a lot of help from, um, from my mom in particular, my daughter's grandmother. And so I just feel immensely grateful for that support and aware that it's the case for so many people and so many families that grandparents have been expected to really step up and help during the pandemic, but also increasingly um, since the 1970s, so over the last 50 years. Yeah, and you write about that in the article as well, about how the role has changed. How has it changed throughout history? It's gone through a lot of different iterations. Historically, like in the 19, back into the 19th century and before the 19th century, grandparents were really members of the same households as their children and grandchildren. People lived in big extended family units. And it's only really in the very recent past that we've adjusted to not having that pattern. Mm-hmm. So it was beginning in the early 20th century when children started to live apart from their parents um, more frequently. And that had to do with a shift away from farm, farm work in particular. Um, So there's an older pattern where grandparents are really essential members of of households, and I think that we've sort of seen a return to that. And it was really only briefly in the middle of the 20th century, and only really then for some some families, mostly white and middle-class families, that grandparents were really separated from the rest of their family units. So in a way, it's lovely because it's (laughs) sort of wonderful being in these rich um, family networks, but on the other hand, I think grandparents are expected to do do a lot of work, and grandparents also, of course, have needs and and you know ideas and agendas of their own, and that's that's important too. I agree, and you know, you talk about in 1980, just 12 percent of Americans lived in a multi generational household, you know, that were the norm in the 19th century, but by 2020, 20 percent did. So things do change. Has the pandemic, you know, you talk about the title, exacerbated this? How has the pandemic exacerbated this? I think it's probably too early to know really specifically from data, but my sense is that it sort of pushed the trends in two different directions at the same time. So on the one hand, 
grandparents who are close to their children and grandchildren's families, I think, have been drawn during the pandemic often more closely into into helping um, and into that kind of, especially childcare, um, despite the fact that we know that obviously grandparents are most vulnerable, you know, to health health risks mm-hmm. in the case of the in the in context of the pandemic. But nonetheless, I think because of what's happened for parents and work and childcare, it's really drawn parents in. And then I think on the flip side, and in some ways just as difficult or more difficult, is the situation for grandparents who've been very far away from their children and grandchildren mm-hmm. and because of the difficulty of travel during the pandemic and, and still um, still now, I think that's been really hard. So my husband's family is all based in the UK and we haven't, they've never met my daughter. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. So it's, it's both, you know, you have both more connection and closeness and help, but also grandparents who are really far from their families and and the challenges of that, too. Yeah, it certainly happened in my family. I have the two grandkids and am able to be in their bubble most of the time, but was separated. But other grandparents on the other side lived close but didn't have access, you know, so we all had a sort of a different relationship through it. Yeah. And I think I love the last sentence of your article to which the pandemic has reminded us that grandparents are both emotionally and practically bonded to the family. And I know I certainly am. And I think your article gave a lot of perspective to that. So thank you for joining me today to talk about that. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very grateful for my parents and for all grandparents. (laughs) I love to hear that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we can find you, Sarah, on Twitter at at S-S-T-O-H-L-A, correct? Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. Josie Vogels grew up the youngest of eight in a Dutch immigrant family. Her parents came to Canada after World War II and built a successful dairy farm in Newtonville, Ontario. They instilled in Josie a strong work ethic that she applies to everything she does. Josie worked for 20 years as a freelance journalist and writer, and the self-discipline research and marketing skills she learned in that career have helped to make her a successful and sought-after realtor for Coldwell Banker Momentum Realty in Niagara Falls. Josie, you're in studio with me. I'm so excited. Isn't it exciting to see people in person? It's really exciting, and I'm so glad that you're here. Obviously, downsizing or selling the big family home is something that a lot of our listeners are dealing with. The market is, I think, hot right now, but you're the expert. So give me some advice on what what are we looking for if if we're, you know, downsizing and looking to move to your area? Any tips? Well, it's funny, the downsizing thing, because that trend was really already happening before COVID, and then COVID just as it did with so many things, accelerated that. So we really are seeing so many people who are cashing in on their city homes or have just decided that the city is not really where they want to spend their retirement. So that trend of boomers uh, selling and, and removing moving to different areas is really, really accelerated in Niagara. Now, I would say the biggest thing, people say downsizing. It's not always downsizing. It's sometimes upsizing. Right. Because also what's what's happening too is... We're seeing a, a shift in, in the way people are housing. So say, you know, grandma and grandpa are moving to Niagara region. We want to make sure we're buying something that has room for the grandkids and everyone else to come. The different needs that are happening and how far your money goes in Niagara. So when you're looking to downsize, it's not just about, you know, uh, uh, getting um, something for cheaper and selling your place. It's also about what your needs are. So it's really important to think about the space that you're going to be looking at and what you need it for 
And then also what kind of money you're going to need in your retirement. That's exactly. such a huge thing. Exactly. You're right. We have a big family home in Mississauga, which we're glad we had through the pandemic when kids moved home. But we also have a, now a big cottage. So we could sell one and go for the other. So we might be in a buying, selling situation. So I'm going to ask you for tips on buying and selling. What tips do you have for us? Yeah. So I guess the big thing is people never leave enough time. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, even considering it, I'd say now is the time to contact a realtor, start interviewing people because it's not, we're not just there to put the sign in the ground and sell the house as everyone thinks we do. There's so much in preparation. And if you've been living in your house your whole life and you're suddenly going to downsize, trust me, start (laughs) purging yesterday. 22 years we've been in this house. It's a long time. Exactly. And the other thing too, is a lot of people look in what they're looking to move towards. They're like, oh, it's not going to fit our dining room set or it's not going to fit our living room furniture. And I mean, it's a cliche, but it's amazing how often that happens. So you're not shopping for a house that's going to fit your lifestyle that you had before. You have to really shift your thinking into a new lifestyle. What's it going to look like? What is the space that I really need? What's important? What are my priorities? And then also to think about it financially. What is to be gained? What do I want to leave my kids? What do? How do I want my lifestyle to look in the you know in our retirement years? So there's there's a lot of questions. And as with anything in our lives, we need advice, right? Yeah. So contact someone who can help you, be it a financial advisor, real estate advisor, get a team so that you can really look at the options and think about what your options are. And I guess what your priorities are, because as you were alluding to, a lot of people think, well, if I downsize, I don't have cash. Like I need to be able, well, have you looked at where you want to live? Because it may even be more expensive or the same price to get what you... Yeah. I mean, the trend we're really seeing, because let's, you know, think about it too. One of the major, there's two major shifts that are happening in our culture right now. And when it comes to boomers and retirement is we're seeing... Number one, we're about to see the biggest transition, uh, biggest transfer of generational wealth in the next 10 years, like something like a trillion dollars. Now, think about this, too. In the last year with the pandemic, equity that people have gained. So they're already thinking of using their equity to retire. In the last year, things rose in value by 20, sometimes 30 percent. So now their equity has risen by that much. So, you know, yes, you may afford less, but chances are you can afford more. So, again, the importance of sitting and thinking about, you know, what does this mean? Also, planning for your kids, because I grew up, you know, from a generation where our parents planned for retirement. They had pensions often, things like that. We don't have that now. Real estate is a whole other thing because it's it's not just a house that you live in. It becomes a tool for your financial freedom, for your financial future and your retirement. So there's so many moving parts that, again, I go back to, of course, it's in my self-interest, but <laughs> get a good yeah. realtor, a good advisor to help you through it. And I think it's also you're pointing to the fact that it's sort of an individual plan and decision, because I think we hear it's a good time to sell. It's a good time to buy. Well, is it for me? You know, I think we have to think about that as well. And always get this question. Always. When is a good time to sell? When is a good time to buy? Well, you know, in real estate, we always, the cliche is yesterday because (laughs) in the long term, everyone says, oh, I'm going to wait for the market to cool, blah, blah, blah. You know, look at the stats in the last... since housing was recorded, it's it's increased in value. So look at the long-term plan. So, you know, I think that it's it's really important to not tie yourself to the market, to tie yourself to your life and what is important in your life now and what's going to make sense and strategize around that as opposed to trying to guess what the market is doing. I'm a realtor. I don't know what the market's doing. (laughs) Well, I follow you on Instagram, of course, just ask Josie, and you give great advice and great videos and tips on things so all of our listeners can find you there. Thank you so much for stopping in today. Really great advice. Thanks, Josie. Thanks. Rick Lowe's is Vice President of Retirement Strategy at RBC. 
Rick leads RBC's ongoing efforts to provide seniors with the financial advice and services they need to enjoy the lifestyle they have earned. This includes helping family caregivers who are looking after older relatives and friends. While providing the care is rewarding, it can also be an emotionally exhausting experience. Caregivers want the best for their family and are willing to do whatever they can to keep them engaged and comfortable during what can be difficult times. But with all their energy focused on looking after others, caregivers often neglect the fact that they too need to be looked after. Rick is back with us today to explain how a new RBC resource helps support family caregivers in all aspects of the care they are providing, including any financial assistance. Good morning, Rick. Thanks so much for being back with us today. Well, thank you, Kathy, for having me. We hear so many stories about seniors in caregiving situations, either needing that care or providing it to others. How does CareEasy make that caregiving easier? Well, you'll, you'll hear time and, and again, Kathy, from caregivers that you know being there to help their loved ones, family, and even friends is an incredibly rewarding experience, but one that can also be very, very demanding. Mm-hmm. And often you know, we see that family caregivers are, are really part of the sandwich generation, meaning that they have their own growing family you know, that needs their time and support while continuing to provide care. Um, and even in addition to you know, finding the time to provide that care, there are issues about the affordability of care services that they may be helping um, to support. So it, it often falls on one you know, primary family caregiver who, who may not you know, receive as much or sufficient support from, from others in that sort of family care circle. And so CareEasy was really built as a collaborative solution for the family caregiver so that they can seek help from their family members for certain caregiving activities, such as, you know, taking mom to next week's medical appointment. Mm -hmm. And when a family, you know, circle is involved, it helps improve, you know, transparency into how much work that primary caregiver is doing. CareEasy also helps them track caregiving expenses amongst the family members so that they can, you know, uh, facilitate any expense sharing that may be needed. Mm -hmm. And and also provides a communication tool so they can really help keep each other up to date on the progress of care for that loved one. Yeah, there's a lot involved, isn't there? You're right. It's not just getting to the appointments. It's finances. It's everything. And for the caregiver themselves. Exactly. Yes. There's a big need to support those family members who are providing the caregiving, which we don't always think about. No, that's and that's very true. I mean, the the caregiver space is, in fact, like it, it's, it's so much larger than people actually, many people realize. I mean, you know, today there are, there are over 8 million caregivers in Canada. And, and frankly, upwards of 45% of working adults are providing elder care in some form. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. And caregivers often don't know really what they don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a new experience for many of them. And they spend a lot of their time trying to navigate the care system, learning how to support their, their family, friends, you know, through trial and error. Um, and, and often, you know, with a, an additional financial burden, the, the average sort of caregiver out-of-pocket costs are upwards of, you know, 7000 a year, which doesn't even take into account sort of the potential for, you know, for lost earnings that they may experience by needing to take time off work to support their family member or, or having to change and reduce their work hours in order to provide that critical care. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a lot. And it sounds like what you're creating here is an online family table where everyone can gather around at any time, make sure the person they want to take care of is getting all the assistance they need. And you don't have to set up those, you know, those phone call chains or send out a series of emails. You can simply click on the app and pull up a chair to that table. 
That's a great way of describing it, Kathy. Caregivers and their families are just an amazing group of like unsung heroes and you know, ones that are providing a wide array of support, but often with little experience or tools to help them. And we just saw an opportunity to help these Canadian families that are involved in caregiving and equip them with a way to, to more easily coordinate the care and financial support they are providing to their loved ones within their family and or their extended care group. So we can download this app for free. We can find a whole bunch of information about it on the website, careeasy.ca. And we can obviously also go to rbcroyalbank.com slash retirement for many more tips on not just family care assistance and finances, but everything involved in this stage of our lives, correct? That is true. Very true. Well, thank you so much for coming in and talking about this. I think it's an amazing app. I'm going through a similar situation with my folks right now and have actually just suggested that we all sign up for this. Thanks for your time, Rick. Thank you, Kathy. I loved this episode and I hope you did too. On next week's show, we get into the booze. Well, wine anyway, as one of Canada's best-known wine experts, Natalie McLean, joins me for some tips on what to serve this holiday season. Ukulele and piano teacher Cynthia Cunenen tells me why music brings us closer together. And we talk with the head of Kobo Audio about the new Kobo Sage e-reader and how to listen on it too. And our Take 5 with RBC series gets smart or smarter with a smart cash card to help your grandkids learn about money management. Thanks for dropping by. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth. Or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.